Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. So we are here in our second part of our series, The Seven Words. Uh, Seven words to the church today. We had a big exploration last week, so if you missed it, let me catch you up a little bit about what's been going on here. Uh, We're in the book of Revelation, and there's no other book that is like jaw-dropping, divisive, scary as the book of Revelation. And because this book is so different... Uh, a lot of people shy away from it, and are like, I don't even want to read that book. It's scary. I don't know what's going on in it. Uh, and so a lot of times you don't hear a lot of messages coming out of the book of Revelation. Or the other side of it, people become like super obsessed of trying to figure everything out. And so you've got kind of these two worlds. And if you are uh, more of like the vein of like, man, I'm kind of in the middle. I just don't really know what's going on. That's why I thought, what a great series for us to dig into and show you that actually, if you read the book of Revelation as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are things that are like a little disturbing in it and a little bit scary and you're not sure about. But honestly, it is so encouraging because at the end of the book, we win. And we win because God wins. And we find out it's not because we win because we're good. We win because Christ and God and the Holy Spirit, our beautiful Trinity, our Godhead three in one is amazing. And we do nothing to deserve it. The only way this battle is won is if Christ does it and we just sit back and reap all the benefits of it. And so we look at that. Now we give our lives to this God who saves us in the end. And the book of Revelation shares all this. Now, the book of Revelation is a prophetic book, and so this is, or apocalyptic, which means it's showing us the end of days, which makes it a little bit hard to read and a little bit scary. And inside of this, we also learned last week that the Apostle John, the same one who walked with Jesus, who wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John in the Gospel of John, the same John is writing this book, but now he's been exiled on the island of Patmos, which is this little small island. He's exiled, which is Only death, the second thing would be this exile. He's all by himself. He's exiled on this island, and now he's out there to basically die. And the reason he is exiled is because of his faith. He's exiled because he's following Jesus Christ's command to go and make disciples. As he heard on the mountainside, as Jesus ascended into heaven, he says, go and make disciples. John and the boys are all doing this now, and John is out there sharing the gospel, and he is now being persecuted. Persecution is, he is being uh, turned against for his faith. Uh, the brothers who were with him, the disciples, are all going through a difficult time. And in the writing of this book, now John has been exiled, where many have been already martyred because of the, uh, their faith in Christ. John is exiled, and something unique happens to John. John on Patmos, God comes to him in his vision, and so he's out there by himself, and he gets his vision. He's like, I need you to write all of these things down. Now, one of the questions we looked at last week is, how do you know that this is legit and the guy's just not hallucinating, right? Like, he's on an island by himself. You've seen, you know, movies like that. We've seen Castaway, for those of us who are over the age of 30. Uh, You've seen these things, and like, is he just losing his mind? But when we get into the scripture writing and understand how scriptures are written and the way that they come down to our books that we have is that the word of God is inspired by God and written through the hands and perspective of a human. 
which means when we read why there's so many Gospels, there's different men writing the different Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, from their different perspective and written to a certain audience. So you look at it that way, God is uniquely writing down and bringing scriptures together that as they start to trickle down and they prove that these are truthful words, they don't contradict other pieces of scripture, the books that we have start to come together. And Revelation is this book that comes out there where we see the author is John. We see that there's a direct uh, correlation between him and Jesus. And now the Holy Spirit, as John shares with us, has come on him to say, I need to tell you guys this message. So now we have this book. And one of the things we talked about last week, if you missed it, was this idea that how does an author share through his perspective? If an author is writing and he has a certain perspective, what does that look like for us today? And this is where there's a tension with us in Bible reading and why there's so many misinterpretations of Scripture is that we take our, our perspective from our Western culture through our eyes and our and the way that we live, and we try to push it onto an ancient manuscript. And so John is a first century Middle Eastern man. He does not live in America in the year 2023. And so inside the book of Revelation, John is seeing these things that are just miraculous, and he can't describe them. He's having a hard time trying to describe it. And so what we see John saying, he says, it looks like, we see a lot, looks like this and looks like that. And, and we explored, okay, John comes to the year 2023 and he picks up your iPhone and now he has to describe it to all of the 12 the disciples back in his day. What would he say? He's like, uh, boy, it's like a flat, smooth rock, right? Because they don't have technology. Um, it's like a smat, flat, and one side glows like a moon at night. But when you turn it over, the other is like smooth as slate. And then the words come from it. And when I touch it, other things come from it. When I touch it, there's songs that come, much like songs like we have in a harp or a lyre. But it doesn't sound like that. It sounds weird, which is, I'm just describing modern day music. So, sorry, Gen Z, your music is terrible. So, so he would try to describe this box and his people back in, they'd be like, what are you talking about, bro? This doesn't make any sense to us. And so we have to take it from his perspective. He's describing the best of his ability, which is very intentional. There's an intentionality to that because Jesus, we find out in Revelation 1, says, I want you to write down all these things which I'm telling you. And so as he's writing them down, a human perspective is helping to get us from a human to a human what this looks like for us. And so Jesus is dictating to him, write these things down, what you're seeing, because this is going to be a letter to my people, not just today, but until I come back. This is very important that they understand this. So that's where John is. And so last week, we looked at uh, the church of Ephesus, and now we're moving into church number two. Uh, which is the church in Smyrna. Now, before we go there, I want to go back to what we learned last week about Jesus, is that before everything is said to these letters to these churches, we get a perspective of who Jesus is. So John walked and talked with Jesus, but now he doesn't see Jesus the same. He looks very, very, very different, because now before he came as the humble servant, now he is the king. And let's take a look here. It'll be on the screen, Revelation 1, 12 to 16 says this, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. 
The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of his brilliance. All of its brilliance. So he's describing this Jesus to him. He's like, oh, whoa, he doesn't have black or brown hair anymore. We'll assume that, right? He doesn't have black or brown hair anymore. It's like white, like wool or like snow. And his eyes are like, like fire and like his, his feet are glowing. And there's a lot of symbolism that's happening inside of there. But at the same time, he's trying to dictate this to us. And as he's dictating, he's dictating correctly because John isn't just writing from his perspective. The Holy Spirit is telling him what to write. So the Holy Spirit is now on him as we learn. And as he's writing, his perspective helps us, but it's the Holy Spirit's words that are coming. So it's God's words through the eyes of John now writes down, it's like wool, it's like fire, it's like, so all these, it's like, is his perspective. But the Spirit is saying, write down what you see about Jesus. And the reason why we start with Jesus is that the churches had to start with the one in which they worship. You're going to hear as we go through all seven churches that the churches, each of them are working through something that is difficult or they're struggling with. And each of the churches need to remember the one in which they worship. Because remember, this is a brand new quote unquote religion. Jesus had come and now they're following this new master, this new Lord, and they are sticking out like a sore thumb. They don't match anywhere in any of the providences. And so they are the outcasts. The first church are outcasts. And what they're doing is they're proclaiming this new God, this new gospel, in which is not a new God at all. It's actually the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so the fulfillment of Jesus being Messiah is now coming down to this time and place. And these churches are struggling. And so how do you fix the struggle? This is who Jesus is. He is powerful. He is a warrior. He is a conqueror. And he's the king. He's not the guy hanging on the cross beaten up and broken. That part is done. He has finished it. It is completed. You are saved. Now guess what? This is Jesus. This is the conqueror and the king. He is still alive. He is not dead. He is the alpha and the omega. And so those words of encouragement right away to the listener would be like, okay, wow, okay, this, let's go, right? Let's go. We could do this. And so we're going to now move into the church of Smyrna in Revelations 2, 8 through 11. If you have your Bible apps, I know your Bibles, I know it's dark in here. It's hard to read Bibles. Uh, your Bible apps glow. So uh, they glow like the, the sign of a moon, right? It's, uh, <laughs> Revelations 2, 8 through 11. Uh, we are looking at the church in Smyrna, and this church is going through a lot. Let's listen to this in verse 8. To the angel in the church of Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. So we start out right away. Hear the words, remember? Hear the words of the first and the last who came and died and came to life again. This is the words of the one in which you worship. This is the Lord God Almighty. 
You have given a whole lot to follow him, and he's now talking to you. Think about this encouragement in this. First of all, remember the Lord, and but I've got some really hard news that's about to come. There's, it, this is not good news because there's a lot of bad things that are going to happen to you. Imagine how you would deal that news to somebody. Like if you had a lot of bad news, do you want the good news or the bad news first? Right? Oh, give me good news, right? Unless you're the bad news person and then, um, I don't know, we could do some counseling. But I want the good news first. I want the good news. Like tell me the good stuff first. So like, hey, we really appreciate X, Y, Z. What's the bad news? Uh, well, we didn't appreciate X, Y, Z, right? The good news helps us to be encouraged. And the bad news helps us to understand through a perspective of I'm not just all terrible things. When you think about when you go through hardships, if you're in constant hardship all the time with a lack of hope, you lose your hope. If you're in a group of people, and maybe you're a part of a family that's very negative all the time, you have a very negative family. Every time you get together for Christmas, you're like, oh, it's Christmas again. And you sit around the table, and everyone is just griping and complaining and angry and frustrated, and the world's terrible. Oh, our government's terrible. Oh, there's more bad things happening. It just brings you down when you're going through hardships. And so when you're around somebody who's positive, you have positive thinking, and someone's like, things are hard, but let's look at what we have. Let's choose joy today. There's something, always something for us to be grateful for. And so let's talk about that. Yeah, things are hard, but you're at that table and like, hey, we're going through a hard time, but I'm so thankful that, you know, I got a new promotion at my job. I'm so thankful that we start speak, speaking thankfulness. It changes the perspective in the room. And so here, Jesus, being the master of, of everything, of course, right? He says, look, I know the room is tense and there's going to be some more tension, but I want to remind you of something. I want to speak joy into your life. Guys, I'm here and I see you. I'm here and I see you. That is such a powerful word to say, I know you're going through so much right now, but it isn't going unnoticed. I see you. I see you is a terminology that I use uh, in my world of working with teenagers in coaching. I use the word I see you because it's a word of recognition, of acknowledgement of your existence or your effort or your presence. Uh, when something good happens, I'm like, hey, 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 I see you and I'll clap. And the smile on the face when I say I see you, those three words of acknowledgement of someone who is in a place of power, right, as a coach or, or a mentor, to say, I see your efforts, is so encouraging. But when we have someone, when you work so hard, you've done everything, you're fighting, and no one even recognizes you, it can be so hard to work so hard and do all the work. Everything is laid out. You bake this amazing meal. Everyone's come and eat. They leave all their trash and stuff on the table. They walk out the door and don't say a word to you. That's hard. It's hard to keep going. It's hard to say, let's do it again tomorrow. It's hard when you aren't. And Jesus says something so beautiful in this simple thing. I see you. Guys, you're not going through all this. And it's not, it's not you're thinking differently. I, I'm right here. I'm with you in it. But here's the thing. This coming message is going to be hard because you're going through a lot right now. And it's about to get worse. But I just want you to know that I see you. You don't have to be afraid. 
I don't want you to be afraid because not only do I see you guys, this is what's even more crazy. Jesus says, I've already gone through this with you. I've been persecuted. I've gone through and I've been killed. So guys, not only do I see you, I've been through what you're going through. That's something that's just beautiful about our Lord and Savior. We learn about this in Hebrews when it talks about we have a high priest in Jesus who has gone through this with us. It isn't a distant God that's far away, that's like some white bearded guy sitting on a cloud playing a harp. This is the Lord God Almighty who has been one of us and has experienced what we've gone through. And he's saying, listen, to those who's persecuted, who've given up everything and given their life for the faith, I see you and I've walked with you. That gives a comfort to me to think when I'm going through a bunch of garbage that the Lord God sees me. It sees me. He knows me. He's walked with me. He understands. He's not some God distant, but he is close. And therefore, there's nothing to be afraid of. J.K. Beale, in his book, Revelation, a shorter commentary, says this. The reason they are not to fear the imminent trial is that their lives and destiny are in the hands of the eternal Lord of history, who has already experienced persecution, even to death, and has overcome it through the resurrection. He sees you. He's gone through it, and now he wins. I've seen you. I've been through it, and trust me, I win. And why this is so powerful is that our hope in Christ is that not that we are good enough to earn God's favor for eternity or anything. Our works are like filthy rags before God. What it is is that he wins, therefore we win. He sees us. He's gone through it. He wins. That means we win. And so because we have nothing to be afraid of when we go through things, because in Christ, that is our security in our faith walk. Huge, huge encouragement. But let me flip that script for a second and just be 100% real. We have all gone through terrible things. It's some facet in some manner in our lives. You have gone through things that are hard. Abuse, divorce, healthcare issues, health scares. You're going through things right now that are just terrible. I have gone through horrendous, super hard, terrible things in my life. And I'm just going to be honest. When I go through hard things, my first inkling and feeling is to shut down and shut in and say, God doesn't care. I feel like I'm John on Patmos and nobody's talking to me. I feel like when I'm going through something hard, God, where are you? And I will actually say, God, where are you? I feel like I'm completely isolated when I go through hardships and my natural tendency is to try to talk through it, but I can't feel better about it. And so I start to shut down inside and I start to shut my heart down and I start to close out people from my life because I hurt so badly. I'm, I'm assuming some of you can relate to that. But imagine this. Imagine in that place, you get the blue bubble that pops up on your iPhone because Jesus would have an iPhone and he would not be the person that turns the conversation green. <laughs> Jesus sends me a text message. And he says, Jason, I see what you're going through. I see you. I'm proud of you. I've gone through this. Keep fighting. Just think about that for one second. I see you. I'm proud of you. I've gone through this. Keep fighting. That one bubble on my phone, which I'd screenshot and send it everywhere, Jesus sees me. 
would give me such an encouragement that the God of the universe recognizes the pain and struggle, everyone who's talking bad about me, all the persecution. God, do you see they're trying to literally kill us? He says, I see you. I'm proud of you. Keep fighting. Would be so amazing. And this is a first century text message. I see you. I see you. In the middle of your pain and suffering, do not let go. Now, the church in Smyrna was going through quite a bit. They had a ton of things stacked up against them. This church right here, as we can see, have afflictions, suffering, and even poverty. So this church, now let's rethink our concept of church, because church is not what we're doing here today in first century. Church for them was a group of misfit outlaws who are off on the edge of society, who have said, we reject the culture and we are now following this new Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. They've heard the gospel, they've repented. And so this group of people come together to survive. We look in the uh, book of Acts when we see the first churches gathering, that they're coming together, they share together, they live together, but they are on the outside. They're outliers. They're not part of the culture. People don't like them. They don't like this new religion that's popping up. It's some new crazy cult. Who is this Jesus? He was just a man. We all saw him die. But this church is saying, no, he's alive. And so they are banding together as this huddled group of people, not coming on a Sunday to hear a message and go home, not coming on a Sunday only to sing a few songs and go home. They had to live together, worship together, be together. It was all-encompassing, not only for their worshipful life, but as for survival. They lived together. They are being absolutely taken care, uh, taken advantage of. They're poor, which means, look, there might be something else going on there, and they're being afflicted. And then Jesus says, I know this is hard, but now some of you are going to start dying. Man, that text message, I got to hang on to that text message, because right now, You're telling me some of my mosaic people are going to die because of this? And this text message, I'm like, I see you. I see you. I'm proud of you. I've been through this. Keep fighting is the only thing I would be able to hold on to as I watch some of you die because of your faith. Because I'm like, I'm going to cry, God, where are you? People are dying. How could you let my church start to die? Think of us, Mosaic family. We are doing this in in a culture that absolutely hates us, where it's not free to worship where we are being absolutely persecuted because you've given your life to Christ. And now he's like, I'm, guys, hang on. I see you, but some of you are going to start going to jail. Some of you are going to start dying for my name, but do not be afraid because I see you and I'm with you. Huge, huge difference. And Jesus says this, I, I see that you're poor, but you're rich. That is not American thinking. In America, rich is rich. In America, rich is power. In America, what I have gives me status. And Jesus is saying, you have nothing, but you have me. And they don't have me. You have me. Now, in your faith walk, in your tension, let's just, I mean, you don't have to say this out loud. Just just bring your own tension to your heart. What would you rather have, the presence of God in your life or everything, money, power, safety, nice home, no taxes, whatever. You get what you want, or you just get to know Jesus is with you through all the pain and suffering of life. Guys, I've been around the church a long time, and I'm going to be honest. I believe the majority of us would say 
I'd rather take the safety and security than just knowing Jesus is going to be with me through the horrible parts of life. Be honest. Let's just be honest about it. I think we want Jesus and we want the security and the safety and everything. And we want the American dream. And we want to take Jesus like the cherry on top of my perfect life, drop it on top and say, Sunday, la la. No pun intended, right? <laughs> so that is not what Jesus is. And that's not Christianity. And that's not following the master. Following the master means you take all of your chips on the table, push them all in and say, I'm, I'm, I'm kingdom minded. What can I do to change the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ? And all you're going to get is him and his presence. So my question is, is that enough? Is Jesus enough? Is his presence enough? Is his text message enough? Because he just texted you this morning. He just texted you this message. To this church, he says it. And to you all, he says it. I see you. I'm with you. I'm proud of you. I've gone through this. Don't be afraid. Keep fighting. But there's another problem here. This church, man, this church is struggling. This church is working through all of its issues. It's working through poverty. They're getting beaten up. They're getting taken advantage of. And then this other thing happens. There are Jews among you who are actually like the house of Satan. I mean, that's a big word. Like my word. Because remember, the Jewish people are God's chosen, right? These are God's people. And to have such a big, huge statement like that, there's something else that has to be going on. Michael Gorman, in his book, Reading Revelation Responsibly, Uncivil Worship and Witness, shares some thoughts on it. And he shares this because the thoughts are so big. This is more than just people who have rejected Jesus as Messiah. It's bigger than that. There's another group that's going on. He says this. He says that they were probably colluding with those possessing economic power, perhaps officials in the professionals in the trade guilds, the networks of tradespeople similar to modern unions, or in the temples that served also as banks, and or Roman political officials in persecuting the Sumerian church. They were, as we can start to understand and start to presume here as we look through this, that there's another thing happening here in which they're being cut off and ostracized from all it, so they can't get food, they can't get work, they are being pushed out so that they die off. And what you're going to find out when you read the book of Revelation is that in the end days, the same thing is going to happen to the church in which the Antichrist is going to come. He's going to try to cut off and ostracize the church in which you will either submit to the Antichrist or you will die or you will not be able to eat. You'll be cut off. And the terminology, if you've heard it, is called the mark of the beast. That there's going to be a time in which when Christ comes back before and all the tribulation is coming, everything's happening, all the world's coming to an end, in which the Antichrist sets into motion, if you follow God, you die. And here in this church, they're saying, hey, this is a little precursor, a little teaser to the fact of like, I see you. And they're trying to cut you off. But I see you and I'm with you. Do not be afraid even to the point of death. This is our tension, friends, because we live in a very, I'm going to use the word, quote-unquote, religious community. Washington County is highly, quote-unquote, religious, which means this. The majority of you at some point in your time or life have had some sort of spiritual experience in which you attended church, uh, learned things from the Bible, had some sort of, quote-unquote, religious interaction. We use that term loosely, right? Christian religious interaction. 
Uh, we are highly uh, German in this area, highly Catholic, highly Lutheran. We've got some non-denominationals. We've got some uh, Methodists. We've got all sorts of different churches. There's churches everywhere. You've had some experience in your faith walk. And in that faith walk, which is excellent, you have to start to now question a few things. The question is this. In my faith walk, have I been told that my faith must be so strong and I must follow Christ so intently and deeply that I would be willing to die for this cause? I'm willing to put my life on the line, reject Jesus Christ or die. I have to be able with full confidence say, take my head. Have we learned or heard that message from an early age? Now, I'm not suggesting Mosaic kids start there, but hear me on this. Are we learning the true walk of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, or are we learning to be really good, quote-unquote, Christians? And I use that word, quote-unquote, because a Christ follower is these churches. A Christ follower is willing to push all their chips, like I said, in. they're all in, doing the best they can, fighting, battling through all the hardships, so that when all of the outside starts to come, you don't get rocked and taken out. Your faith is so strong that you say, what do I have? To live, to live as Christ, to die as gain, as the Apostle Paul said. That is my faith journey, and I am proud to say I'm all in. If you decide on the day of persecution who I should be in, you're pretty much going to be out of luck because you aren't ready for it. Our faith journey is training and building us with a faith that's so strong, and Lord willing, we never have to endure that. But let's be honest. Can you see the day coming? We are now a post-Christian society in America. Can you see it coming? Can you, can you see the day in which churches are no longer tax-exempt? Can you see the day in which churches are now persecuted because we don't give in to what society says? Oh, wait, it's already happening. Friends, we are not far off from a time in which your faith is really going to cost you something. It's really going to cost you something, and I'm going to predict in those days in the American church, this is the word of Jason, the word of no one else, that churches are going to shrink like we've never seen before because churches are closing all over just post-COVID. It's costing me too much. I don't want to have to do that. They're asking too much of me. And as a Mosaic family, if you haven't heard it, hear it again. We are an all-in church, creating disciples that make disciples to change the world. I'm not here to speak to you to not do something with it. I teach you and train you so that you change your life to go on mission for what Jesus has you for in your world as God's created you with your unique story and your unique background. You are someone on mission. And if you are not on mission, you're not living out the fulfillment that God has for you. And if you live on mission, guess what? Persecution's going to come. And this church, in the middle of this, is struggling and they've got everyone against them. The Romans are against them. The Jewish people are against them. The devil himself is against them because he's now going to send them off into jail and to get them killed. Listen to this, verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Are you telling me Satan himself is against this now? It makes you wonder, what were they doing? What were they doing? Like, look, man, Satan isn't omnipresent. That's not, only God himself is omnipresent, which means he can be everywhere. So this dude is rolling up to this church at this time, and like, ooh, what are they doing? 
Why does everybody hate them? And now we don't understand or know, but let's say this. That we're going to read into the lines here. There's a movement of God that's happening in which people must be impacted by the gospel that everyone would try to stop it so much. Something is happening in this church family. This group of people are doing something radical for the gospel. They are not sitting, drinking tea, talking about their dogs. They are doing something crazy. I'm willing to say that there's a movement, and I'm going to use the word revival, that's coming out of this church, which Satan himself is trying to stop. And there's something crazy that's happening, and God's movement is now happening. Let's, let's just dream for a second, right? Hundreds, if not thousands of people are repenting and coming to faith, and the people against us say, we have to stop this movement. Why would we assume this? Because that's what they did to Jesus. When Jesus' movement started and people are changing and they're transforming, they say, we've got to kill this guy. Stop the movement. Stop the movement. And they tried to stop the movement. And all he did was they started a movement that spread like wildfire. And now this church is on fire and doing something so amazing that they are going to have to die for it. I'm going to scare you all off right now. That's my dream for us. That's my dream. Not the last part, the first part. I dream that we are a church that is changing the world so intently that we are on mission for God in every facet of our life, that we are on a movement of God that is starting a revival of people repenting from their life because their lives are falling apart in sin. They repent and come to the master. And as they come to the master, they aren't just coming and listening and talk to a guy talk. They are going out and changing the world. That is my dream. That's why we started this thing. It's bigger than us. I want to be like this church. I want to be like this church that if you don't have the faith to keep fighting, that you would say, maybe I don't really follow the master. I want to create a tension in you. This morning even, like, man, wow, he's on fire. But wait, I've seen Jason's story, and I know that he's in. That's my dream. Not that I'm the guy up on a stage doing it, but we are a church family. We are 300 strong approximately as Mosaic Church. 300 people call this church their home, and 300 people push all of their chips and say, let's change the world. So much so that the dark enemy has to start sending people to stop us. But we follow Jesus Christ, and we've got the text message. On my phone, I've got the blue bubble that Jesus says, I see you. I'm with you. I've gone through this. Don't give up. And then we as a church family keep fighting through the persecution, the struggle, whatever would come our way. If it becomes illegal to be a Christian in America, would you keep coming to church on Sunday? Would you, would you keep singing songs? If they, you found with a Bible, if you're shot on sight, would you do it? If you couldn't stream Christian music anymore, you couldn't sing songs, if you could not gather as a group of people, if you could not live a life on mission, if you can't speak the name of Jesus Christ, otherwise you're put in jail, would you keep going? Would you maybe think about it? Or would you stop? The church in Smyrna has this beautiful message to them today from the Lord. He says, I see you. I know what you're going through. There's so much struggle. But, and everyone's going to come against you, but i got to just keep encouraging you. I'm the first and the last. I've gone through what you've gone through to the point of death. And if you keep fighting, this is the beauty of what's going to happen to us. In the end, you get the victor's crown. 
The victor's crown is, as athletes, they all strive for this crown of showing victory or overcoming. And we see this terminology several times within scripture of those who have overcome. Sometimes it's related to the martyrs, those who've given their lives, that there's this identity of I've given everything for the cause. In verse 11, that says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Those who are victorious and stand strong and do not give up their faith, do not walk away, who give their lives, they push it all in for the Lord. Those who are victorious are victorious because they just trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Our victory comes in Him. But are you willing to do it? This church today, what an amazing church for us to look at in the year 2023. As for our faith walk, just in our culture, it's become easy, it's become soft, it's become convenient. It's come on, am I free on Sunday? Maybe I'm not, maybe I'll stay home. I don't know, I've got a pregame Packer game. And I'm not saying church attendance, that's not what I'm saying, guys, you know that about me. I'm not saying about that. What I'm saying this, if this is, Sunday's your only experience with God within a week, and you're not attending maybe once a month or every, maybe twice a month. You're not, no other experience. You're just doing this. How is this driving you forward for the mission of changing the world? As a coach, I have my kids in the gym three hours a day, every day, driving forward the mission of becoming better. Three hours a day, every day, to become better. Are we spending 15 minutes in the gym a day? Are we striving and growing and building? Are we learning what it means to live on mission? And if right now you're like, dude, super huge conviction. I gave you a teaser last week. You are soon going to be revealed in December what's coming for our year 2024. God's put on my heart a huge vision I can't wait to share with you. But I think our time is now as a church family. As a church family, our time is now to start to embrace the beauty that God has for us. Even though it's a scary adventure, our time is now to push all of our chips in and say, Jesus, I'm in 100%. What can you do with me to help change the world for your glory and for your kingdom? I say this about myself. I always say, I don't want to be at a place sometime in my life where I said I wish I would have. Wish I, maybe it's the midlife crisis thing, right? I wish I would have. I, I've run marathons because I said, I just want to be, I don't want to say there'll be a day I can't. I understand I can't. I want to do it while I can. I'm going to push myself because there will be a day when I can't. No regrets. I don't want to say, I wish I would have been a better dad. I wish I would have been a better community person. I wish I would have loved God more. I wish I would have read my Bible more. I wish, 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 wish. There are no, there are no wishes. There's just reality. I think our wishes as a church family, it's time to start doing action, changing our wishes into doing. And it's exciting because now this is the church that God uses to change the world. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world visit us at mosaicwi.com.